0: kept telling me that I was the sum of my past. That the man I was lived in a house where the walls were covered in a plastic cast of memories that mirror the old me. See, the younger version of me before my submersion into anger, there's a picture drawn in pen of a black background. It's when my imagination filled in the blanks with family estrangement and constant danger. See, when you feel like you don't matter, it's hard to fathom that there's a God that could care. So I just began to act out because for me, there was nothing but doubt. There was no God, no light, no half-spirit, half-brother. But see, no matter how high I got to battle the lows, I still felt that I was trapped in the darkness in this house that neglect had built. It had walls that would sweat and filled my lungs. My breathing was inept because the capacity was filled with a loud, deafening shrill I could see only red. And every day I woke up upset that I wasn't dead. I was living my life fast with a tank that was empty and a soul that felt filthy. I hated the world. Because I hated myself, as into the darkness I continued to fade. I just felt abused, so I kept on abusing, waiting for death in this bed that I had made. Little did I know, a death was exactly what was needed. It was a dying of self, and what would be left was this unfamiliar freedom. The day that I was baptized, I still remember that I had no idea why. While when they talked about the pool, my feet began to move I felt out of control, as if something or someone had a hold of my soul Directing my steps, telling me which way to go I stepped into the water fully clothed in my sin Though I came out brand new, I still had to choose to begin again But see, ever since that day, the water has become my life's pivot I still felt some of the old, yet God told me all of it he can hold I had to be willing to give it You see the world it kept telling me that i was the sum of everything that i had done and jesus keeps telling me that between the two the divide is vast the new me renders the newly created creation he keeps telling me my son in you i am doing something new don't you see it it springs forth like rivers abounding with good fruit and i'm making a way in the wilderness and streams that have cleaned the depravity from you faith it doesn't eliminate trouble or mistakes, but it accelerates the healing, revealing God can circumvent the time that it takes to understand that you have never, ever been a mistake. I am not the sum of my past because I have been redeemed. I am not what I have done to others, nor am I what's been done to me, and neither are you. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so does the Son give life to those with whom he pleases to give it to. That's to you. The son is Jesus Christ, and he's the answer to every question and every vice that has ever plagued my life. God burned down my house that was covered in mirrors that kept reflecting death. But now the sky provides the echo through a kaleidoscope of vibrant light that gently guides my steps. See, he made me new, and I'll spend my life telling everybody that I see. That he wants to do the same for you that he did for me. He really, really wants to make you a new creation.
1: I don't know what occurs to you as you see that and listen to that. But here's something that sticks out to me, whether you're watching uh, online or whether you're over in Branson, welcome today. I know last week you all had a baptism service uh, where you were celebrating new life. But as you sit here, I want you to know this, you are surrounded by people just like James who is a part of our Gateway family here who have longed to escape kind of the grip of the past. That are trying, they're leaning forward to try to find new hope in the middle of their life. I think this is like just a common experience, and the idea of being a new creation, that there could be something new that could sort of change the way that I've known and seen my life is so compelling. Like, what would it look like to start making a whole set of new memories versus just the ones that oftentimes are sort of tainted in the past to us? I love that picture. In fact, it made me think of a little bit of where we go with our series. I don't know if you've ever been... Uh, scrolling through your phone and discovered that you had memories you weren't quite aware of, meaning uh, you had sort of run across pictures that there was a lot more there than you had at first glance. Uh, Notice one you may be thinking of uh, if you have kids like I do is what I call the selfie storm. Have you ever seen a selfie storm? This is my four-year-old Emmett uh, who discovered our phone, and there he is. He's taking a picture of himself, but not just one picture. He's got to look at himself from multiple different angles. Let's sort of try something slightly different with the mouth. Yeah, that's very nice. And then we're going to try, you know, leaning the head to one side. Yeah, I like the way that I look over there, but you can't just stop there. What about the other side? And then let's lean it back, and then let's try it. You know, let's just shut one eye and see if I look. But what about both eyes? We got to find that out too. So, Maybe you've picked up your phone and somebody, some friend, some family member has sort of selfie stormed you in that and you've got this barrage of, I didn't even know these were here. Or maybe it's uh, the worst when you get sort of self-sabotaged by a photo. You know, when you, when you grab your photo and you're looking at it and, you know, when you see a photo and you look at yourself because that's what everybody does first. You look at yourself and you realize... I look different than I thought I did. I mean, like, I think my fly is down, or there's something in my teeth there. I didn't know that my hair was sticking up like that. It's a horrible feeling, the self-sabotage. I didn't know that was even there. Or like what we're talking about today, if you've ever picked up a phone and realized, I took a picture, but there's a lot more in that picture than I thought. If you've been photo-bombed by something in the background, uh, like this poor girl who's just taking a a Facebook photo and then realized, oh my gosh! (laughs) There's that in the background, or... Or maybe you're at your, you know, the wedding and it's so beautiful except bridesmaid number one. <laughs> Not so thrilled about that moment. Or maybe just a great day at the beach seems all fine. But then there's Stingray in the background. That's at, although I think the girl in the middle is pretty aware that that Stingray is there. Sometimes we look at our photos and we see things we don't remember or maybe we're like, wait a minute, that is there or that just keeps showing up. Maybe you've had a friend that's like photobomb king and just is always doing that, kind of jumping in at the last minute and messing up a photo. I think when we look back at sort of the, the photo reel of our life though, I don't know, maybe you're like me, there's certain albums I just would prefer to delete. Like I just would rather that actually have not existed. There are choices that I have made that photobombed my life. They're stuck in that frame, and I can't seem to get them out. And worse than that, they seem to reoccur again and again. I wish it was just one album of my life that was ruined by those choices, but I keep making choices. Like, it's like the old me keeps photobombing my present, and even into the future. It's like it just keeps showing up again and again. I bet most of us have probably experienced something like that, some part of our life where a choice from the past intrudes on the present There it is, there it is again, you know? A lingering sense of shame or guilt from the past. That thing that we did but somehow still seems to be exerting pressure on the present. A pattern of anger or pride that we thought was dealt with but there it erupts again just when we were least expecting it. A lie that we've told somewhere that suddenly comes due like a bill that we have to deal with here in the present. A shortcut we've taken somewhere along the way, something we did to chase the loneliness away. I wish it was way back then, but that pattern just keeps coming back to me. There's this underlying pattern of brokenness that draws us back to the same addictions, the same hangups, the same bad relationships, the same bad choices. And there doesn't seem to be an easy way to just hit delete on that. When you look at how our bad choices have photobombed our life, you can't just delete. I mean, we try though. We try to change things around. We move to another town. I'm going to try a new career. Maybe that's what I need. you know what? It's really just my friends. I need a whole new group of friends. They're really the problem here. But if you've ever tried that, you realize you travel with you. And we always end up with us again and again and again. And if you found yourself there, perhaps you've heard the whisper in our world. This sort of common sense truth that life tries to convince you of. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. You ever told somebody that? Somebody ever told you that? The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, meaning you're sort of locked in. If you've done it once, you'll probably do it again. That's the common sense wisdom, which means sooner or later, you're gonna get photobombed again by something you don't really like about yourself or about the choices you make. So how do you escape the grip of that kind of Brokenness. How do you escape the grip of your less awesome moments? Can you? Can you really escape that? Can you hit eject on the cycle somewhere and get out of it? I think we all are looking for an answer to that. And so a lot of people have offered answers to that because we really need one. Think about it. There are so many different options you can get on how to deal with what we're talking about today. There's uh, self help. You can, there's whole sections of libraries and, and bookstores and all sorts of parts of the internet devoted to how you can help yourself fix the problems that you created. There's the power of positive thinking, that if you will it, it'll just happen over time. There's life coaches that can help coach you into a different experience of life. There's psychological intervention. If you want to spend time there, you could meditate your way into a whole different life. And if all else fails... Uh, religion, you know, of course, that's kind of our last option most of the time anyway. We can we'll we'll choose religion if we need to. Because we don't like to think about those photobombing moments, we'd rather avoid them altogether. I think it, it puts us down to essentially looking for tweaks to our life. Like we don't want to we don't want to deal with it too much, but so can I just get a, a tweak here or there just to improve my life that allows me to get on with things? But it's not always that easy, and I think life experience tells us the case. For example, several years ago, uh, my wife and I, we had bought a home and we realized that every once in a while when it rained, we had a basement in this home, and every once in a while when it rained, it just sort of kind of felt damp down there. You're just like, "Mm, don't really like that. But it was just, you know, you just, you live with it, You, you move on. Except when it rained for like three or four days one time. I mean, it was like a full on squall, like flooding and everything. And we realized it didn't just get damp in our ba- basement, it leaked in our basement. We had water all along the back of our wall. And, you know, you never want to deal with water in your house and all that. So I called up a friend of mine who was a contractor and had him just come out and look at it, you know, hoping this is not as bad as I think. Maybe it was just a unique set of conditions. And after examining it for a little while, he said those words you never want to hear. I think you've got a foundation issue. And you're like, no, not a foundation issue. And when you realize you have a foundation issue, the only way you're going to figure out What's actually going on is if you rip up your entire backyard, dig down under the footers of your property and figure it out. And this is exactly what we had to do. That was my backyard. It was, there was a tractor sitting in my lawn for months as we dug down there and really tried to figure out what was going on and where is that water coming in. I think most of us, when it comes to our, the problems that we deal with in life, we want the tweak. We don't want to know that it's a foundation issue. No one wants to deal with a foundation issue. In fact, I think that's how most people approach Jesus and Christianity. If I finally have to go to religion as the last resort most of the time, I'm hopeful for a tweak. Can, the, can they just tell me, like, Jesus' five easy you know, tips for a great life so that I can get back to living the awesome life that I had in mind? But there's another uh, sort of proverb If you've spent any time in uh, business management, uh, managers will have this proverb. They say, your system is designed perfectly to get the results you're getting. Your system is designed perfectly to get the results you're getting, which means it turns out photobombing is a rather unfortunate side effect of a foundational issue. They go hand in hand, and you can't just tweak photobombing away. There's a foundational issue to deal with. And that's exactly where Jesus starts, because Jesus has never offered tweaks To anybody's life. He doesn't today either, but he really will point to the root issues. Matthew chapter 16, this is one of Jesus' famous teachings on this point. He says this, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is probably, just so we can kind of put this to rest, this is probably one of the tougher passages in the entire Bible. And a lot of people have taken issue with what I just read. It kind of confirms your worst fears, right? It confirms your worst fears that Christianity is pretty morbid. After all, Jesus is like this great buzzkill of life, and if there is a God out there, I'm pretty sure he wants to be miserable. Like, when we read that passage, we're like, I'm sure that's actually what's happening there, right? Deny yourself, take up a cross, hate yourself, and, and hate the rest of your life. Like, that's kind of what you just extrapolated out. Can we take a closer look at that passage for just a minute? I really want to kind of help us see it because... If there's more there, then maybe we just need to dig a little bit for it. So let's start with like the strongest image that you see in that passage, this whole take up your cross business. Now, that's pretty famous. Jesus gets a lot of press for that. But the only real reference point most of us have for a cross is Jesus. Uh, That's the only person that you know of probably uh, beyond maybe an ancient history lesson or two that actually was crucified. He's certainly the most famous crucifixion victim. But you gotta realize when Jesus first spoke that verse we just read, he hadn't been crucified yet. The words cross and Jesus didn't go together at all to the people he was talking to. This was a new piece of information for them in terms of the two coming together. But here's this, in first century Israel, Jesus was using a picture, a reality that people would have been very familiar with. He's drawing on an image that would have been easily understood by anybody that was listening to him. Their country was occupied by the Roman government, which had devised crucifixion as a form of execution to sort of use as a a deterrent to civil unrest. We would execute you in a gruesome public way so that nobody else would get the same idea that you had. And they were pretty good at it. In fact, they used this form of of a deterrent pretty uh, frequently, and so it wasn't uncommon for the Roman government to crucify a hundred people, thousands of people at a time just to make a point with people to remind them who was boss, meaning if you had had an iPhone back in the first century Israel, it wouldn't have been uncommon for you to take a picture and actually have a dude carrying a cross photobomb you. It was that common. This was their life. So what's Jesus doing with this? Like much of his teachings, he's drawing on an image. He's drawing on experiences that people had, and he doesn't spell it all out. We do that in our current educational system. We like everything to kind of be an outline form. That's not how Jesus teaches most of the time. So, why bring up an image of a man carrying his cross? That's pretty gruesome, actually. So, why even bring it up? Why? It's a great question. Perhaps maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. What's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of the cross? Well, think about it. You got to go there. If you're carrying your cross, what's going on in your mind? If you're that guy carrying his cross, what's going on in your mind? Are you thinking about, oh shoot, what was I supposed to pick up at the grocery tonight? Like I can't can't quite remember, or oh man, I wonder what the next season of Stranger Things is gonna be like, I'm just, I'm curious about this. No, you're not thinking of any of those things, are you? You know what you're thinking of? You're thinking what? This is the end of my life. None of those thoughts that seem so important to most of us are on my mind. Uh, This is the end of your life. The meaning of the cross is the end of your life. Bring that back in then. Among other things, I think Jesus is dealing with a foundational issue here. He's saying, Are you tired of the past photobombing the present? Are you coming to me for help? Do you want to be my follower? Is what he says. If you want a fundamentally different experience of the future, you don't need a tweak, friends. Your control of your life is the foundational issue that's causing the results you don't like. It's your life. That is the life that needs to end. The one with you in control, the one with you calling the shots, the one with you at the foundation. That is what needs the cross. And you can imagine a conversation that we might have with Jesus. If he's coming at it from that angle, you can imagine him saying, we come up to him all the time, hey Jesus, Can you improve my life? No, I can't. But I can offer you an entirely new one. I can offer you a new one with a whole different foundation. And that foundation, that foundational issue is our confidence in us versus our confidence in Jesus. Maybe a story will help kind of drive this home. There was a guy that was out uh, walking through the wilderness, sort of trekking down a trail. He had been out there a time or two in the past, but he realized he had even though he knew thought he knew what he was doing, he had really miscalculated at this point and was getting really turned around. Had trying to figure out how to find his way through this trail. And as he walks along, he runs into this older man who had sort of taken a break and was resting on the side of the path. You meet somebody out in the woods, you inevitably strike up, you know, a conversation, and these two guys end up sitting down and sharing a meal together. As this younger man sort of puts his backpack back on and gets ready to kind of find his way, the older man says, hey, would you mind if I tagged along with you and just kind of walked a little bit of the trail with you? The old man, I mean, the younger guy wasn't really thrilled about that idea, but he was like, you know what, I I can, I'll course correct somewhere along the way. So he's like, sure, come on. They start walking. An hour goes by two hours go by. Finally, the old man pipes up from behind him and says, uh, son, don't you think we ought to be uh, headed back? I mean, the sun's going to be going down pretty soon. The younger man, not really sure which way was back at this point, just sort of blew it off and said, no, nah, you know, I think the trails merge up ahead here. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Another hour goes by. The old man finally says, son, I think, uh, do, are we headed the right direction here at all? And there again, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, it's fine. Just, just a little further up here eventually though the sun starts to set air starts to get really cold and this young man realizes he is utterly lost so finally swallowing his pride he stops turns around to the old man and says sir I am so sorry to tell you this but I have no idea where we are and I don't know how to get us home the old man sort of stops looks at him for a minute and then just sort of pulls out his pack Pulls out this old lantern, looks at the boy and says, well, I've been out here a time or two. Let me see if I can help get us home. And they start walking. Now, again, it's getting dark at this point. The man is walking and the younger man behind him is just going, oh my gosh, is this, just, is this just a bad idea what we're doing here? Do we have any idea where we're going two hours go by and still they're walking? And finally he just says, sir, I, I really appreciate your help here. I, maybe we should just make camp for the night here. I mean, it's getting cold. We should probably build a fire. And uh, the reply would just come back, well, let's see, just, just a little further, just a little further. And they would keep walking. 30 minutes go by and still he's asking for help and then... They walk into this clearing, and the younger man sees kind of at the uh, the other end, there's this this warm, inviting glow of fire. They had walked right into this campground area, complete with a ranger station. After some time with some food, a blanket, and a little bit of space around a fire, the young man is talking with the ranger there, sort of recounting how their journey went and, and marveling kind of at the fortitude of this old guy that actually got them back. And the ranger looks at him sort of quizzically and says, son, that old man has been hiking these woods for 40 years. In fact, he was the pioneer of the path that you were on. Jesus says, when you come to the end of yourself, when you come to the end of your life, when you no longer have confidence in you, that you're the one that knows the way, he says, I can offer you an entirely new life. I can show you a new path. Follow me. Follow me. The good news of Christianity is that there is one who knows the way and that through confidence in Jesus as opposed to you, you can find the life that you've been looking for. But it will come at the cost of your life, at least the one with you at the foundation, the one with you in control. But the Bible actually describes Jesus as the pioneer of this path. Hebrews 12 says this of Jesus. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is a pioneer, meaning Jesus does not ask us to go where he has not He has gone first. In fact, that's why the central message of Christianity is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. His death on the cross was not merely to atone for our sins, to make things right between us and God, or to prove that the heart of God truly is self-sacrificing love. Both of those things are true, but it wasn't just for that purpose. The cross was also to show us the way. He was illuminating a path that leads to real life. Jesus walked the path to death first so that we would not have to fear it because he then also showed us what's on the other side of the cross for those who trust him, resurrection. He went first to show us the way. Romans 6 describes it like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Meaning it's hard for your old self to photobomb your life when it's been crucified, when it's dead. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's out from under the control of death. He has been raised to life, and he has trailblazed a path for any who want to follow him. But the only way you're going to access that, the only way you're going to experience the new kind of life is to trust Jesus enough to follow him, to die to yourself, to having your way, to having ultimate confidence in yourself and to put your confidence squarely in Jesus. Not just in what he did, although what he did was pretty fantastic It wasn't just his death on the cross and his historical resurrection that he offers as evidence, though he does. He offers you to trust him here and now, to put your confidence in him, the living, resurrected Jesus. You can trust his way. You can learn as his student, his follower, to trust his words to learn to see things the way that he does, to adopt his worldview, to join him in his purposes here in this world that he is still working out. The gospel is that there isn't anything that isn't trustworthy about Jesus. It's all trustworthy. Not just what he did 2,000 years ago, but he is just as trustworthy today. Millions of people can attest to this trustworthiness in Christ. As the pioneer of this path, he is fully worthy of your confidence. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Everything has become new. We're not just talking about heaven one day, although the following of Jesus will lead to a whole different experience of the life that comes after this one. But it says here and now, there is a newness. There is a new creation and that's exactly where Jesus wants to lead you through the death of the old into the resurrection of an entirely new person whose foundation rests securely on Jesus as the leader, as the one pioneering the way. And the creation, this new creation, that is who you were meant to be. It's who you were designed to be, hashtag no filter. It's exactly what God has always had in mind for you. You can experience the power of this resurrection in a moment. It begins by committing yourself to following Jesus. You get raised to new life through this confidence that you have in Jesus, and then you spend the rest of your new life as a student in God's kingdom, learning from Jesus, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I start all over? This is part of the reason Jesus also referred to this experience as being born all over again, is because it starts you back learning how to live life, not with you in control, but with another, with him, the pioneer in control. So here's the question I wanna leave you with today. Have you developed enough confidence in Jesus to commit to follow him? Have you developed enough confidence in Jesus to commit to follow him? Here's the thing about confidence. Confidence grows through experience. You don't have to conjure it up. In fact, conjured confidence is pretty thin. But confidence works as you get to know somebody. You see them. You hear from them. You become convinced of something about their character, something about who they are. And some of you have been around for a little while. And you've started to put a thing or two together about who Jesus is. And either you've experienced enough of Jesus to sort of weigh the options and choose him, or you need more time. And honestly, that's a fine way to walk out of here today. You know what? Like, if you just walk out with the clarity of, I'm on my way. I wouldn't say that I'm there yet. I need to learn or experience more of you, Jesus, before I'm ready to to confidently follow you. But others of you are kind of at the other end of the spectrum, and you're like, there's no way I can avoid this any longer. The opportunity, the offer it seems like one of a lifetime I don't get all this there may be a part of you that doesn't feel all that confidence but you see enough about Jesus to recognize that his way is better than yours and that's enough Jesus himself said all it takes is a little mustard seed of that confidence just a tiny little bit it's enough to start something germinating in your heart and life some of you are like I absolutely am ready Kind of like at the end of that path and just going, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea how to get home. I want to turn away from me and my old way of doing life, that photo bombing craziness, and it comes from all that. And I just want to follow you, Jesus. If you know where you're going, then I'll just humbly follow behind. So here's what I want to ask as we close up here I want to ask you to pause for just a few moments. And the band is gonna come out and lead us in kind of a final song. And I wanna give you just a little space to think that question over about your confidence level in Jesus and what your desire is to follow him. I really do want you to think it over because the meaning of the cross, the end of your life, that's no small thing. But as you consider that, let the words of this song draw you back to the heart of God that is behind all of this. He is the pioneer of the path through death into resurrection. If He walked that road out of love for you, He did it to prove that He is trustworthy with your life. So here's what I'd like to ask. If everybody could just stay seated. We're going to listen to this song. I'm going to come back up here in just a moment and I want to give, kind of help those of you who are ready to make that decision to actually have that conversation with Jesus and become follower. Let's start by listening.